0: Welcome back to A Bit of Fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I'm glad you're here. I missed you last week. The Vacation was nice, though. I I didn't need a vacation, and I somehow managed to turn off my brain for a few days, which just never happens. It was very relaxing. It seems I only really relax, apparently, when I'm not home in Indiana. Staycations just don't work for me. I have to get out of town, which is kind of bad because it's not like I have funds to head out of town all of the time. I maybe even have considered playing the lotto now. I'm just going to start buying lottery tickets so that I can travel when I feel the urge to travel. But it does make those moments when I get away even sweeter, though, so I'm not going to complain. I actually talked a bit about my time off in my latest newsletter, if you're interested, the emotional roller coaster that is vacation. You can check that out at justkeepswimming.substack.com. But anywho, it's time for Episode 9, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I know I've seen this one before, but I must have completely blacked it out, and after this viewing, I'm pretty sure I know why. About halfway through the rewatch, I messaged some weirdos with a simple statement, I don't like it. It's true, I just don't, I don't like it, guys, and I know you know that we're going to explore that reason together in the rundown, but I think in a nutshell it comes down to two things. One, it's based on a work of classic literature, and that is so not my cup of tea. Yes, there are exceptions, but I'm not ashamed to admit that I made the very easy choice a few years ago to just give up feeling guilty that I hadn't read most of the so-called masterpieces of literature. And number two, dude, this movie was sad and dark. I mean, it was intense. We'll dive into all that in just a few. A quick reminder, though, that if you want to watch along with me, and by watching along, I mean participating in my Summer Animated Disney Movie Challenge, there's a printable copy of the list available on my newsletter or in the show notes. So story. Back in college, we had this requirement called spring term. You had to take at least one spring term class before graduating, and they were torturously held in May after you just barely survived your semester and finals. They weren't like normal classes, though. Kind of advertised as, I guess, fun or offbeat topics that were still educational. But I think they were intended to be fun too. I know I almost took one on, like, civil war in the movies with one of my favorite professors. Um, I do remember Disney popping up in one of the names. Um, well. I got my spring term credit by going to Europe with the art department. So that is when they did take some trips that you could get credit for. The only requirement for this particular trip, if I remember correctly, it's been a while, was making a scrapbook. And I was like, hey, easy way to get a grade here. So easiest class ever. Yeah, I'll take some pictures and throw together a binder with some decorative paper. I can do that. And it just so happened that the pottery professor was the chaperone, and I had just taken a class with him. So I felt pretty comfortable hanging out with him and his wife. I mean, he was this awesome dude with a handlebar mustache. He actually gave me an A for, I quote, trying really hard. He also commented that there was more clay in my hair than on the pottery wheel, which was absolutely true. But you know what? I had a really fun time trying something new. That was kind of the wonderful thing about college, getting to take classes that I would just never take on my own. The funniest was a piano class. I I have no musical ability, talent whatsoever. I mean, Zippo. And um, I had to compose a song by the end of the semester. And it was so slow to keep up with the rhythm, because I also have no rhythm, that the professor thought I needed to go into therapy because I was depressed. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm a special case here. But I loved hanging out in the art building. All of my friends were art majors. So I was familiar and comfortable with the group that was going But Europe. So we started in England, we explored windsor oxford the cotswolds we ended up in bath and finally made our way to london and i loved london i mean the british museum was magical i maybe teared up looking at the rosetta stone and pieces of the parthenon (laughs) that professor came up to me in one of the museums and was like this is your disneyland isn't it and yes the history major in me just could only silently nod my head like yes yes you understand me so after london we took the channel to paris and i did not like the channel yes, it's very convenient transportation, blah blah I don't like traveling over water on bridges. I truly despise going under the water. It's just like a horror show waiting to happen and it, and if I'm in there, it's going to happen that's That's how I kind of see how things are going. I also did not like Paris. I was supposed to like Paris. I think I was actually supposed to love Paris. People love Paris in the movies they're always like, "I want to go to Paris." But the Paris I saw was dirty and it was intimidating and it was filled with people who just immediately disliked me because I was an outsider and I didn't speak their language and they, they make you very uncomfortable about it. And thank goodness I had my bestie with me though to drag me out of the hotel room each day because I honestly don't know if I would have left the room if she hadn't been there. We, we braved the Metro to see the Moulin Rouge. We checked out a Parisian perfume shop where I accidentally sprayed room spray, which is even more potent all over my arms and um, had people on the Champs-Élysées kind of turn in their head because they could smell me. We split a ridiculously small quiche that was very expensive, and we found ourselves eventually at Notre Dame. There's something holy about cathedrals, and I mean, despite the fact that they are quite literally altars to God, they are quiet and solemn and peaceful and overwhelmingly big and beautiful. They are living and breathing history. I mean, they're witnesses to humanity. So one trip to the cathedral wasn't enough, and visiting cathedrals is always my favorite thing to do in older cities. So we went back after our first glimpse. No, I need to go back again. And this time we hiked to the top of one of the spires. And my glorious best friend, who doesn't love heights and has asthma, braved these very narrow stone stairs for me so that we could stand with the gargoyles and see the city from above. We were a part of that history, that humanity, for just a few minutes. I mean, it was just a few minutes, all that she could stand. But it was, it was glorious. So of all the places Quasimodo could have been stashed, there are worse places than Notre Dame. It still didn't make this movie good, though. All right, be honest. What did you think of the little transitional tone? Keep it, leave it out. What do you think? Let me know. But first, an overly simplified summary of Disney's animated feature, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. This um, truly horrible and despicable tyrant judge guy kills a woman and is about to throw her baby, who is not what society would deem conventionally beautiful, into a well when a priest runs out of the Cathedral of Notre Dame and shames him, this tyrant man, Um, into being an oh-so-slightly less horrible and despicable man by allowing the baby to live. His solution? Keep the child in the bell tower of Notre Dame locked away from the world while he terrorizes the city of Paris and attempts to systematically eliminate the imagined threat of gypsies while also very creepily lusting after one. The ugly baby grows up and befriends the enemy and eventually brings an end to the tyrant's reign with the help of a random morally acute soldier. And there are singing and dancing gargoyles. The end. Ugh I okay, I have not like I said, I have not read the book. Maybe there's more in the book, but let's just let's dive into the list here. So number one, the intro is very dramatic and theatrical. I mean I was immediately terrified that it was going to be an only singing kind of situation. I like Les Mis, but it's kind of exhausting trying to follow a a story when it's just being sung at you. Thank goodness my fears were unwarranted. I mean, the movie as a whole, though, is very theatrical, or more than any other Disney movie, it kind of sounds like it should be on Broadway. I mean, even more than the ones that are on Broadway. Number two, Clopin. I I don't remember. Clopin (laughs) Clopin, the jester guy immediately reminded me of the peddler at the beginning of Aladdin, the way he kind of led us into the story. I think that, was, that had to have been inspired by that. Number three, why this story? Why the hunchback of Notre Dame? There's really no appeal to kids here. Who were they making this for? Nothing for them to find a connection to, no cute sidekick. I mean, the gargoyles were not cute. One of them was a bit of a Debbie Downer. One had an old woman's voice, which is fine. Old women can be cute. I'm not trying to say that, but it just nothing to appeal to kids. No quirky villain, no exciting adventure, no intended or unintended laughs. I mean, the character development is so poor and rushed that you can't even consider the idea of the outcast. I mean, the feeling of being ostracized or looked over as a possibility for connection. I just don't understand why this one was selected as a Disney movie. It looks more like a Dreamworks. The art to me reminded me of Dreamworks. The songs aren't especially catchy or earwormy, and it's just so dark. Seriously, our villain, the judge, sings a song about lusting after a woman, and if she doesn't succumb to his passions, he'll burn her to death. How is this a Disney movie? Okay, I got that out of the way, and I feel a little better now. Number four. Another interesting choice to shove magic into a movie that didn't really need it. Are the the gargoyles actually alive, or are they a figment of Quasimodo's imagination? And if they're alive, how do you explain the magic? Where does it come from? Why are the gargoyles the only thing that's magical? And isn't there a bit of a conflict with magical gargoyles that live in a Christian cathedral? Number five, I'm starting to think that maybe we wouldn't have Mother Gothel's Tangled without Hunchback's Frollo. I've learned a lot about this, that I wouldn't have Tangled without all these other movies I don't like. So I've got to appreciate that, I guess. But Frollo, he is a master of cruelty and gaslighting, and that is something that Mother Gothel just absolutely excels at. So I guess we need this one. Number six, now, granted, I'm not around horses much. In fact, they scare me. The last time I went to the state fair, which I guess was 2019, sadly, since we couldn't go last year, um, I went into the horse barn. And I mean, I'm a fairly tall person, 5'9", five 5'9 nine, five nine and, and I walk up to one of the stalls and there is this giant, I don't, it might have been a Clydesdale, I don't know, but it, this giant, black, beautiful horse, but it's back was a good foot taller than me. That's too big. That's too big, guys. Horses should not be that big. How are they that big? So yeah, I'm not around them much, but I have never seen a horse behave like a dog and react on command, or at least commands like sit. Do they do that? Can someone answer that for me? Am I missing out here? Can I just walk up to a horse and be like, sit, and it'll just sit down? Number seven, just a statement. I don't like Phoebus's facial hair. And that was the only statement I had for that. I just don't like it. Number eight, I do, however, love Jolly the Goat and his sassy little earring. The most expressive, fun character in the entire movie. There was a goat, you guys. That's awesome. Number nine, I found clopin, clopin. We're back to that. Clopin's use of skulls as hand puppets in the underground catacombs to be terribly off-putting and insensitive. There seems to be just very little respect for the dead there, and I don't really want to go down that staircase in that very atmospheric cemetery, but then I kind of do because I, I want to see what it's like. That cemetery looks frightening, and I, they really set the mood. What was so interesting too, this is not on my list, is how they the setting itself is so very dark, and so it gives a very specific tone that the judge is setting throughout Paris but then you do have the Romani population the gypsies who are vibrant and colorful and full of life and that was well done Um, that really kind of changed it let you easily know who was the good guy who was the bad guy kind of thing even though it should have been extremely apparent because Frollo is terrifying number 10 I'm all about the use of the goofy falling sounds I would mimic it but that's not kind to your ears, so I'm not going to do it. But you know what I mean. Every time Goofy falls, um, he, he makes a very specific sound. It happened twice in the movie, and I am here for it. I actually was listening to, was it, it was either The Emperor's New Groove, which we'll talk about on Friday, or Cinderella. It's in one of those two. It, now I, it catches me every time I hear it, which is fun. Number 11. My goodness, God Help the Outcasts is one sad and emotional song. And again, this is a kid's movie. This is a kid's movie? Is this a kid's movie? I mean, it was kind of a beautiful song, but it's sad. And it just seems really odd in a Disney movie. Number 12. Just an all-around, nope, to the selection of voice actors. I mean, independently, I like them. I like Kevin Klein and I like Jason Alexander, and I'm okay with Demi Moore. But in this setting, I just, I pass on all of them. Just all of them in general. Number 13. Okay, what's up with The Wizard of Oz music and reference to the Wicked Witch telling the monkeys to fly? That seemed to be out of place, especially considering the collection of stories about Oz, wouldn't have even existed at the time the movie is set. So why add that in there? It's not even a Disney property, which is weird. I I didn't understand that particular pop culture reference. And finally, number 14, the visual of literal fire raining down on the city from the cathedral is Frightening. I mean, it's so dark, and the priest inside—he's just in there, doesn't really seem to notice or care. I mean, Frollo eventually barges in. He's like, "You should be ashamed of yourself." It's like, "Did you know you have fire coming out of your cathedral? How how have you not noticed that all of this is happening outside, and you're just hanging out in here? What are you doing? What's he doing? He's probably praying, which is good. There needs to be some prayer, but it just—it was a stark visual." very, very dark and threatening. It was, it was intense. A snuck and another one, guys. I thought, you know what, let's just put in the sound one more time so we could get a really good feel for it. Again, let me know how you think about, what you think about it. So yeah, there we go. There's the list. I'm going to add this one to the short list of Disney movies I don't really need to watch again. It's not on my list of favorites and I definitely won't be looking into the book. Again, I am guilt-free. I have let go of that guilt of not having read masterpieces in literature. It's, of course, not all bad. When you look at the story as a whole, it's about finding your place in the world, the place for your authentic self. It's about the healing power of true friendship, that outer beauty isn't really or nearly as important as inner beauty, that the world will not always be kind, respectful, and thoughtful, but with a pure heart, you can make it through. It doesn't have to break you. Quasimodo could have become bitter. I mean, he could have become a reflection of his master, as he called him, of Frollo, but he didn't. How, I'm not really sure, because it's not like he really had any other role model. I don't know how often the priest went up and talked to him. He had his magical gargoyles, that was about it. But that pure, kind heart saved him in the end. I did do some lazy research by Googling, why did Disney make The Hunchback of Notre Dame? Guess what? It had been Googled before. Apparently... It did become a stage show that was popular in Europe, and it was much closer to the original text, but it was deemed too dark for Broadway, so it never made it over here in the States. Jason Alexander, one of the gargoyles, you know, of Seinfeld fame, he thought the movie was too dark to even show his son at the time, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, (laughs) Hey, no, don't watch this thing that dad just made because it's too scary. What? Yeah, it is an animated Disney movie, but that's fine. Belle from Beauty and the Beast makes a cameo. Pardon me thinks this is cool, the way the animators can sneak things into movies. I mean, it's not the first time that's happened in a Disney movie. But then I also get kind of annoyed, wondering, once again, how does that work? Are we supposed to believe they are in the same universe? At least both movies are set in France, I guess. And it wouldn't completely be out of the realm of possibility that Belle could have ended up in Paris at the time. I mean, they both happen at about the same time, so... I guess there's there's that, but it it just is odd to me. And they changed the role of Frollo to become a judge and not a priest and not anger the church, which I thought was interesting. But just two of the film songs, God Help the Outcast and Heaven's Light Hellfire, contain more references to the words Lord and God than all thirty-three of Disney's previous films combined, which is a lot. That was interesting. I'll, I'll leave a link to a few other articles I looked at. One was a Mental Floss article, and another one on thethings.com. I'll leave those links in the show notes if you're interested in reading those. But the final wrap-up. Favorite scene? I guess I have to pick, if I have to pick one, it would be the scene just after Esmeralda has stepped in to defend Quasimodo. I will hand it to Esmeralda. She's a, a pretty, pretty good female character. Strong, thoughtful, um, stubborn, which kind of works in her favor. I, I like the way she stands up for Quasimodo and for herself, that she doesn't back down from who she is, which is um, a really good message too. And so she's just defended him, and she's escaping the capture of the guards, and she's using Jolly her goat, and they're doing kind of their magical illusion kind of thing to get away. That was kind of fun. Favorite song? I mean, it was super melancholy, but I did like God Help the Outcasts. Favorite quote. Um, And this was from Laverne the Gargoyle. Take it from an old spectator. (laughs) Sorry. Take it from an old spectator. Life's not a spectator sport. If watching is all you're going to do, then you're going to watch life go on without you. Pretty good quote. I mean, I may not love this movie, but I would love to hear what you think. Is it on your favorites list? What am I missing? Please tell me. I am open to your thoughts on this. A quick rundown of what else I've watched. Well, there wasn't much opportunity on vacation to watch any Disney movies, but I did mark The Little Mermaid off my list, and I could have easily done a whole episode about that one. That one falls into the very problematic, but I still absolutely love it list. Um, so it's also one of my favorite non-thrill rides at Disney World. They take you through the story. It's a lot of fun. Um, and just what the Imagineers have done as you even just approach the ride, Ariel's Grotto, I mean, you're they take you under the sea, which is awesome should check it out next time you're there. And again, if you want to take me along, that's cool, too. But I guess that's it for today. I will be back on Friday with some thoughts on The Emperor's New Groove. Spoiler! I love that one. And as another sneak peek, I'm going to have some friends on with me next week, which is a lot of fun. I'm kind of excited about it. We're going to talk about Disney villains and either sidekicks or songs. I haven't decided yet. I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. The podcast is, of course, available everywhere. So share it with your friends and family and have them subscribe. That would be awesome. And if you have the time and you want to rate and review, that would also be very nice. Thank you. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook at A Bit of Fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today and I will see you next time.